All right, friends. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at day number 6. It's a very significant day, and we honestly will not be able to get to everything that happened in this day. But day chapter 6, we'll look at Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 24. Day chapter 6, excuse me. Genesis chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 24. Right after the fifth day was over, the sixth day began. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And that's where we'll stop for today. There is an awful lot to be found in these verses, but hopefully we can just hit on a few things that will give us some good lessons to take away this morning. This is uh, the final day of creation. Day six begins the final day. There is no more of the creation week uh, except for the day of rest. Nothing happened on the day of rest, which we'll get to that too. But the sixth day, God, fin God finished his work. He had a little left to do. Before we can really talk about this, we need to understand what is being said. We have to define our terms. Living creatures, it says, he created. Living is the Hebrew word kai, and it means alive, life. And it's actually translated beast later in the verse. If you look at verse 24, and God said, let the, living, let the earth bring forth the living creature. It says cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth. The word for beast and the word for living are the same word. Same Hebrew word. And it's translated just a little differently in each context. But that's what it means. Alive. Life. Creature is the word nefesh. And it's a very significant word in the Bible. Of course, I would say probably all the words in the Bible are significant. But creature is the word nefesh, and it means breathing creature. It's from a root word, which means literally to breathe. It's sometimes translated soul in the sense of being an individual. In Genesis 2, it says God breathed upon man and he became a living soul. And that's also the word nefesh. It's, it's a breathing thing, something that breathes, a, 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 a creature, an individual. 
So he said, let the earth bring forth these living creatures, breathing things. Let them come forth. We have four D's to pay attention to in these verses. The first one is a division. A division. God divided into three categories these living creatures. He said, first, the cattle. The cattle would be any four-footed animal that lives in herds. It's not just cows, but it's cows and things like them. Horses, elephants, antelope, deer, pigs. Things that really that walk on all fours and that generally live in herds. They're a more, you might say they're herbivores. They're not hunters. They are um, grass eaters. Those would be the cattle. Uh, behemoth would categorize as one of the cattle. You say, what's behemoth? Well, you should look up Job chapter 40, verses 15 through 19. Job 40, 15 through 19, through 19 describes behemoth. Behemoth was very likely a sauropod dinosaur. And it used to, when I was a kid, they called him Brachiosaurus. That was the biggest dinosaur ever. And then we found out that Brachiosaurus was not really real. They took the body of a Bronchiosaurus and they took a head from another animal and they didn't realize they were two different creatures because in the fossil record, those bones are all mixed up like this crazy way together. So they didn't know that it was not the same animal. So the Brachiosaurus never existed. But the Bronchiosaurus and other large creatures like that, sauropods they're called, were real. They, and the Bible talks about it. He had legs of iron and ribs of steel or brass, legs of brass. Not real literal brass, but that his bones were as strong as brass and his tail as big as a cedar tree, it says. And so these creatures had gigantic necks. They were humongous beasts and displayed the great strength and power of God because they were so impressively huge and strong. Some uh, Bible commentaries would like to try to say that, oh, the behemoth, oh, that was just an elephant or a form of a hippopotamus. But when was the last time you saw an elephant with a cedar tail? a tail that would be anywhere close to compared to a cedar tree. Or a hippopotamus has just sort of a flap of skin on its backside. It's nothing like a cedar tree. Maybe a, you know, a, a, a sprout, <laughs> a cedar sprout. But then why did the Bible say his tail is like a cedar tree? And have you seen a, a hippopotamus's legs? They're not exactly like you know massively strong bars of iron. They're stubby little things. No. It wasn't a hippopotamus or an elephant. It was a dinosaur. That's what behemoth was. And God created the dinosaurs on day six. What about creeping things? Creeping thing means literally in the Hebrew it means reptiles. Uh, it means anything that creeps or glides upon the ground. There's a root word there that means to glide. So that would be things like worms and insects, and snakes, crocodiles, 
maybe turtles. Those are things that creep upon the ground. I, I sort of, as I was thinking about it, I was kind of like, pretty much anything that gives you the creeps probably was one of these creeping things. Uh, snakes give you a lot of people the willies, and spiders do, and and all of these, you know, creatures upon the ground. That's the delineation God made. And then he says, beasts of the earth. Well, what would that be? Well, that'd be everything else. All of the other animals. If it's not cattle, if it's not a creeping thing, it's a beast of the earth. And it might be fun sometimes to sit down and try to think of as many animals as you can and figure out where would this fall in a categorized way. I didn't take the time to do that. But you think about it, things like squirrels, rabbits, bears, tigers, those things are not cattle, and they're not creeping things, so they're beasts of the earth. Apes, monkeys, the T-Rex, uh, I would say would be one of the beasts of the earth. There you go, there's a tiger picture for you. Tigers don't really hang out in groups. They have babies, and then the babies sort of go along. Smaller groups they do, but generally they are pretty much loners. They hunt. And uh, there's some discussion about whether or not creation changed when the fall happened. Because before creation, before the sin of mankind, there was no death. So there wouldn't have been any hunting carnivorous animals. Why would a carnivorous animal be so designed for hunting if he wasn't going to hunt animals in the original creation. Some people think that maybe after the fall, God sort of tweaked his creations a little bit and gave them hunting abilities. I'm not sure that's correct, but I, I can't say it's wrong yet either. But also, I, do, I can tell you that a lot of times, things with sharp teeth, they don't eat meat. They eat nuts. They eat uh, plants and things that are hard to chew. So just because something has sharp teeth doesn't mean it was designed to eat meat. It means that it was designed to eat other hard things and crunching on nuts and things. In fact, some people would say that the T-Rex was a herbivore because his, the root system of his teeth are very shallow. So some people would say, some scientists claim that he, he may have only eaten big coconuts, things like that. Not necessarily was he a meat eater. I'm not saying he wasn't a meat eater, but he doesn't necessarily have to be a meat eater. So what's the lesson here in this division? Well, I would say the lesson for us in the fact that God made this distinction is that God appreciates order. He appreciates structure and organizing things clearly and easily. Then there's a distinction. There's a division, and then there's distinction. He says here in this verse 24 and in 25, he says the phrase, after their kind. They were created after their kind. And that means in accordance with their species. The word kind is not exactly the same as the word species because you can have several different species within a kind. It would be more like if you understand the, the organization that we have done in modern times of biology, it would be like the family, the, the animal family. So uh, you have 
Siberian tigers and you have Bengal tigers and you have a couple different species of tiger, but they're all part of the tiger kind. Look at dogs. You have many different kinds, many different species of the dog kind, but they're all part of the dog family. The kinds, the specific kinds, were to be distinct from one another. The snake kind, the cow kind, they were to be separated from each other and not to mix. Oftentimes we see variation within a particular kind of animal. So you, you'll see different colors in cows, but they're all cows. You'll see dogs are a great example, really. It's the best illustration. Uh, they're all dogs, but some are huge and some are little. Some are fat and some are skinny. Uh, but they're all part of the dog kind. We don't ever see a dog developing, or you can't breed certain kinds of dogs enough times and end up with a cat. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> that would be a tragedy. You can't do that. They all end up being dogs. The kinds don't switch. Now, evolution, the people that are proponents of evolution and teach it, want to tell you that over millions of years, there were adjustments and changes, and you know these certain kinds over here would mate with each other, and they would adapt to their environment, and we would see them adapting, and so over time, eventually they would develop into a completely different animal. And that somehow squirrels and rats have a common ancestor. Well, they are kind of part of the rat kind, aren't they? But they would say things like squirrels and um, uh, parrots <laughs> have a common ancestor. Well, those are two different kinds completely. They would say that cats and dogs have a common ancestor that used to have characteristics of both. And eventually, over time, adapted and adapted, and now you have dogs and cats are two different things. That is not what happened. The kinds do not switch. Now, the evolutionists would want to tell you that because you see variations within the kinds, you see different types of dogs, and you can breed the dogs so that you get different traits, well, that proves that evolution probably happened. You know, you can do that enough times and get another animal completely, and you can't. You don't see, you see variation within the kind, but you don't ever see a switching from one kind to another within that variation. There was a story many years ago of a certain type of moth that was, during the Industrial Revolution, there was a lot of soot that was in the air, and this moth would go and they would mate on these trees, and uh, they would blend in with the complexion of the tree, the color of the tree. And it was the tree, it was a particular kind that had white bark. So the moth would lay on the tree and be white and would blend in and be avoided or be passed over by predators. They couldn't see them. Well, as these trees got covered in soot, they became black. And the white moths stood out real nicely on those black trees. And so the predators picked off those white moths easily. Now, a few of those white moths had children that were darker complected. They had a darker pigmentation on their skin. And over time, the darker ones became more numerous because the white ones were dying. So the darker ones lasted longer and longer and longer. 
And eventually, the white ones almost completely died out, and the, the black moths were able to blend in on the black trees. trees. Well, over time, things changed in the industry, and there was less soot in the air, and the trees began to go back to being white more often. Well, now the black ones are getting picked off more. Well, now the genetic information for white moths became more prevalent, and the white ones lasted longer, became more numerous, and then the black ones disappeared. So this genetic change, now it wasn't just that the moths were getting covered in, in soot. The moths' pigmentation became dark. They were dark moths instead of white. And evolutionists would like to point to that and say, see, they adapted to their environment, and eventually, over millions of years, they might eventually become snails if they adapted enough times to certain things. The fact is that they, they weren't changing kinds. They were just adapting within the kind. And that is borne out by Scripture. God said, after their kind, they will be. And they are. That's what we see in the world. So we see a division, a distinction, and we see a designing. They were designed to bring the Creator glory. Animals were designed to glorify God. Some people glorify animals to the point of making them more important than humans. They, they say, well, we've got to take care of the, you know, save the whales, and they glorify animals to the point of saying, humans are the problem. We are destroying all of their habitats, and they'll throw out some other lies and things that are not really quite accurate. And we're, we're killing all the animals, and, well, I won't say that humans don't have an impact on that. I will say that that's probably an extreme <laughs> exaggeration. Uh, and they will glorify animals above the needs of, of the animal kingdom above the needs of the human kingdom. And that is an over-glorification of animals, and it's unbiblical. The Bible says that we are stewards, not servants, of nature. We're stewards of nature not servants of nature. As we study the creatures of the world, particularly in the animal kingdom, the Creator is revealed to us. Now, so far, friends, we've talked about the sky, we've talked about the sea, we've talked about the air, we've talked about the way God filled up the sea and the sky with life and living creatures. And it's just made even more extreme when you think about every kind of insect every kind of mammal, every kind of monkey, every kind of cow, all of these different animals that now live upon the earth and how intricately detailed and how exact and precise they are designed to work and, and the different things they are designed to, you do, to do. Do you know that the, the platypus is an amazing animal? The platypus has a duck bill. It has webbed feet. It has poison in it. It has venomous poison in its teeth. It gives live, it's a mammal and gives milk to its, its, its young, but it lays eggs. It's got a beaver's tail. It's this incredible creature, and yet it's perfectly designed for glorifying God. It brings glory to God if just to tell us that God has a sense of humor. God knows how to make us laugh by saying, hey, Here's a, here's a platypus. It's even got a funny name. 
But what about some of the other animals? I want to just give you a few little interesting facts about animals because I believe that they glorify God. And as we study them, we see God revealed. Uh, a newborn Chinese water deer is so small, it can almost be held in the palm of the hand. Baby uh, kangaroos are about one inch long when they're first born. And then they crawl into the mother's pouch and continue developing from there. Ostriches can run faster than horses. And the males can roar like a lion. Can't imagine that it's quite as loud as a lion, and I was had a little trouble believing that one. I mean, some of these might be faked, but I encourage you to find out if they're true or not. But I think they are. I, I only share the things I think are right. A lion in the wild usually makes no more than 20 kills a year. The only dog that doesn't have a pink tongue is the chow. Turtles, water snakes, crocodiles, alligators, dolphins, whales, and other water-going creatures will drown if kept underwater too long. Did you know that if you kept a shark from swimming, if you if were able to hold him still, he would drown because he absorbs water through his, his gills and that's how he gets oxygen. If you kept him from moving forward, he couldn't breathe. Something special about, about uh, sharks. This is an interesting fact, although it's not particularly about animals. Almost half the pigs in the world are kept by farmers in China. On average, dogs have better eyesight than humans, although not as colorful. There is an average of 50,000 spiders per acre in green areas. Yeah, doesn't make you really want to roll around in the grass, does it? Uh, the, the bat is the only mammal that can fly. Some male songbirds sing more than 2,000 times each day. The only mammals to undergo menopause are elephants, humpback whales, well, and this says human females. So I guess that's it. Although I'm not sure I like to categorize humans in the same genre as a, a mammal. They're a little bit different. They're still a mammal, but they're certainly completely different than animals. The chicken and fish are the only animals that are eaten before they are born and after they die. A tarantula spider can survive for more than two years without food. For every human in the world, for every human, there are one million ants. That, that was incredible. One million ants for every human. The average fox weighs 14 pounds. Alligators can live up to 100 years. A housefly hums in the key of F. Is the key of F, apparently. So you could harmonize if you knew what, if you had a good ear. Um, even a small amount of alcohol placed on a scorpion will make it go crazy and sting itself to death. 
That's a very valuable and useful piece of information. I don't like scorpions one little bit. Except when I see them dying. Um, ants never sleep, and they also do not have lungs. I'm not sure how they breathe without lungs. That's, that's one I sort of suspect is maybe a fabrication. A group of owls is called a parliament. Um, an anteater is nearly six feet long, yet its mouth is only an inch wide. Here's one that I think you'll find interesting. The blue whale weighs as much as 30 elephants and is as long as three greyhound buses. A grasshopper can leap 20 times the length of its own body. The smell of a skunk can be detected by a human a mile away. It can also be detected by a human a foot away. Just FYI. There is a butterfly in Africa with enough poison in its body to kill six cats. That's a lot of poison. These, this is just a taste, friends, of the animals God has created in the world. And the different things they do or don't do or the things they can... They can uh, the, the ways in which they reveal the great uh, wisdom of our Creator. That's just a barely a taste. Part, to me, part of what makes animals fun is the fact that they declare the wisdom and understanding of our Creator. Whenever I learn something new about animals, I think to myself, that's incredible. And, and it just causes me to appreciate what God did even more. Animals declare to us how wonderful God really is. And there is a great deal of value in studying the animal kingdom. I really admire biologists and, and, and zoologists. And I love to go to the zoo and learn more about those animals and watch them. Watch them live. I love to watch nature movies and videos and things and see these creatures God has made. You know, sometimes when we observe a design, a, a particular design, such as maybe computer software or painting, we can see the flaws and the problems. If you've been to a building or if you're an engineer, you know, you might study a particular design and you'll see, oh, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. This is not quite right. Or, you know, maybe in your own house, uh, you can sometimes say, you know, whoever designed this house didn't know what they were thinking about. Uh, <laughs> you know, I remember, and, and, and I don't think that they would mind this, I certainly love my in-laws greatly, but when they designed their house, they made a couple flaws. Uh, really, only one I can think about is when I first came to their house, you had to, well, you have to uh, walk through the bedroom to get to the bathroom on the first floor. And I always thought, why did you design it this way? And there's a good reason that they did it that way. But to me, it was a little bit of a mistake, and it made me go, well, I don't want to do this in my house one day. I don't want people to have to walk through my nap to go to the bathroom. I want them to have a way in other, elsewhere, a special spot where they, only they go. You've seen that before, not just in blueprints and the design of buildings, but maybe if, if you've been working with computer software and there's 
just something that you can't do, it's because the designer didn't design it very well, and it's a flaw. But when you study the designs in nature, when you look at the things that God has designed, you don't find any flaws. You don't find mistakes. You find things that maybe this creature was not designed to do or things that it can't do, but you don't find design flaws. Because when God designed them, he said, it's good. It says here in the scripture, he designed these things and God did it. He made all these animals and saw that it was good. They were good. He designed them well. We continue to be awed when we study these animals by the wisdom and the skill of the designer. You know, when you, you see an animal and you think, well, that's what it was designed to do. And my children love to sing a song. And in the song, there's a phrase. And it says, it's designed to do what it does do. And what it does do, it does do well. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. I think it does. I can't even remember the rest of it. They could tell you. But it's designed to be that way. And there's no flaws. And it brings great glory to God when we observe it. And finally, we see here dominion. We've seen division, distinction. We've seen designing. And we've seen, we now look at dominion. The final creature. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Mankind is created in the image of God as the ruler of creation. And this will only be a sort of an introduction to what we will discuss in more detail next week. God willing. God willing and the creek don't rise and the baby don't come. Mankind is the ruler of creation. In this verse 26, we have uh, something significant to note. The first mention of the Trinity. It says, let us make man in our image. It's a plural distinction. It doesn't say, let me make man in my image. Let us make man in our image is the first mention in the Bible of the Trinity. Now, uh, something important that you might need to point out to your non-believing friends is that the word Trinity does not show up in the Bible. Some people like say, you know, Trinity is not in the Bible. Okay, yeah, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a doctrinal word invented by somebody way back in the, you know, early couple of hundred years of Christian doctrine. But the word, the concept of a triune God is all throughout the scriptures. I'll throw some out to you. In John 15, in John 6 through 8, and in Acts 5, we can see evidence of the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all part of God. He is a triune being. They're co-equal and co-eternal parts of God himself, and he is one being, but three persons. Uh, my dad and mom always used to tell me it's like water. Water can exist in three, three states. It can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. But it's always just H2O. Another one that I've heard is the shamrock. 
you know, the three, three leaf clover. It's got three different leaves on every piece, but it's only one plant. It's very hard to understand, but that is the truth. God exists as three persons. You know, what I believe one of the easiest ways to understand the Trinity is by looking at ourselves. Because we are also a tripartite being. We have three parts of our existence, of ourselves. Greg has three parts of Greg. It's just still just one man, even though he'd like us to think he's worth two. One guy existing in three pieces. And that is really how we are in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. Well, does that mean we look like God? Well, no, because men and women look different, are created differently, and yet men and women are both in the image of God. He says, and we'll create them. It says later, male and female created he them in the image of God. So we don't, don't physically do we look like him. We are in the image of him in the sense that we have three parts. We have body, soul, and spirit. And to point this out to you very clearly, I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a brief scripture to help you understand and see that really we are three pieces. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Verse 5, verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of those Greek words, spirit, soul, and body, is three distinct Greek words. Paul is speaking of three different pieces of the human being. We all have the physical body we can see. We all have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it is those two things that we share with the animal kingdom. And I, at one point, did not believe uh, animals had emotions. I thought they were all instinct, and that's all. I do believe that animals have emotions. Dogs, I think, experience. I, you can see it in a dog. You can see it in a cat. I think animals have emotions. Horses do. Uh, they, I know they have a mind, and they have a will. Any of you that have ever worked with a donkey will attest to the fact that they definitely are stubborn, and they want to or do not want to do certain things. But they do not have a spirit. Mankind is in the image of God because we have a mind, a, we have a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And we are unique in all of creation in that sense. We are able to communicate to the spiritual realm. We are able to sense spiritual things. The animal kingdom cannot do that. We are, we alone, we alone are given the ability to communicate with God himself. God will give commands to the animal kingdom. He sent an, a, a whale to swallow Jonah. He opened the mouth of the donkey to be able to speak to Balaam. God will give commands to these animals. But to communicate in relationship with God is something only mankind can do. We are special. We are special. We are greater than the animals by design. 
It is because we are in God's image that we are the greatest of his creations. Mankind is the greatest creation God made. The crown, the absolute pinnacle of all of creation is mankind because we are in his image. Nothing else is in the image of God in the way that we are. The rest of creation reveals him, but we are in his image. And that is very, very special. The first thing that's said about mankind is that we are in his image. The second thing mentioned is that we are given dominion over the created world. In verse 26, he said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them, notice again, male and female both, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. Over all of creation, we have been granted dominion. What does this word dominion mean? It means it's the Hebrew word radal, and it means to tread down, subjugate, dominate, rule. We are to dominate all of creation. Not in an overbearing, overlording way, but to rule it with wisdom and grace and understanding. We are given rulership, or you could say also stewardship, of his creation. And friends, what an amazing trust that is. What an amazing trust we have been granted. Imagine how wonderful creation is. And friends, over the past few weeks, we have discussed astounding things in the world in which God created. How majestic and incredible the stars and the sun and the moon. How fantastic the sky and the filling of it with birds and the seas and their vastness and the intricate details of all of the animal kingdom. And then God trusts mankind to rule and have dominion over his created world. Over all the universe, we are given dominion to rule. What a responsibility and what a trust God entrusts to us. All of these beautiful things, he says, okay, you are given the task of ruling. You are the stewards of my creation. Well, I believe this should inspire us to desire to rule well, to have good dominion, to be good stewards of the world that God has given to us. What does that mean? Well, friends, part of my desire is to give you principles by which to guide your life based upon the scriptures, based upon God's word revealing the scriptures. And how that is specifically played out in your life is really something the Holy Spirit has to reveal to you. The Holy Spirit needs to reveal to you the specific ways in which you are to have dominion and rulership over your circle of influence, your sphere, where God has placed you. How can you have dominion? Some of the specific things that I thought of was to don't needlessly kill things. You don't just 
catch a fish, all that was fun, and then you just throw it in the grass and let it, no, you, 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 you clean it, and you're probably going to eat it. Even if you catch it and put it back in the water, you're not needlessly killing it. Or you don't just hunt things just so that you can kill them. Mount them on your wall, fine, no problem. But let's not be bad stewards. You know, it's possible to hunt things to extinction. In fact, I think that's what happened in many cases to the dinosaurs. I think most of them went extinct because they were hunted to extinction. We have to be careful about how much we do that and where. We should not needlessly or carelessly pollute the world. Friends, I'm not an advocate of environmentalism. You never put ism at the end of something. It's creating it as the ultimate. We should not lift the environment up as being greater and more important than the rulers of the world. Environmentalism is not a godly or biblical way to see the world. But there is a point at which you shouldn't be throwing glowing liquid into the river. Toxic chemicals exist, and we should be careful about where they go. We don't want to put them in our drinking water. Do we recycle? Well, yes, we do. Because we want to be careful about reusing things that we can reuse. Be careful where you put your trash. We want to be good stewards of the world. And that doesn't mean that we all have to live in grass huts and, oh, well, we're reducing our carbon footprint by not breathing. We hold our breath all day and we only open our mouth to eat. I mean, that's, that's the ridiculous things that some people want to do. And they want to do it mainly because they want to control our <laughs> businesses and things like that. But that's another message. The point for us today is that we should try to rule well, to have good dominion. What are the characteristics of a good ruler? A good ruler is wise, patient, understanding, knowledgeable, strong, courageous, discerning, consistent. A good steward. That's how we should treat the world. Really, we should treat the world as God treats us. With patience, compassion, discernment, and wisdom. God guides our lives well, and we should be good stewards of his creation. To me, this tells us, and this is really the point I want to drive home to you today, how much value... God places upon mankind. To trust us with this amazing world means that he created us with the intelligence and ability to do it well. That we are his trusted stewards. We are his trusted stewards. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel better about myself and gives me a sense of purpose and meaning to my existence. Now there's a whole lot more to my purpose and my meaning than just that. But to be a trusted steward of God means that I have great value in His eyes. Certainly the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and His resurrection from the grave, 
my redemption from sin reveals to me how much he loves me, how much he values my relationship with him, that he wants that relationship so much he'd let his son die. But the fact that God entrusted us with the world, the beauty of creation, even damaged since the flood as much as it is, it's still magnificently beautiful. And that God would trust us with that care says that he values us immensely. And he created us and designed us to be remarkable. As remarkable as the world is and all the different things that you can learn about the animal kingdom and the ways you can understand what they are and what they do, to remember that the human is so much greater and so much more valuable than that is an encouraging thought. And I trust that as you learn about the, about the animals, as you, as you see your dog, you take care of your cats, your, your horses, your cows, your chickens, your pigs, maybe you take care of snakes. God bless you. I hope that you continue to live the rest of the week. Whatever it is that you care for, the dominion that you have in the world, remember that the reason you have it is because God loves you and he trusts you. And you are much more valuable than that little dog and that little cat. God cares about you. And that's a good reminder. And it gives me a sense of meaning and purpose to know that that's why God designed me in the, in the first place. Part of the reason I'm here is to take care of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this beautiful creation. And thank you for creating us to take care of it. And thank you for trusting us with the earth. Thank you, Lord, for, for being so magnificent and so wonderful. For the majesty and the wisdom with which you guide the things that happen in the world. We thank you for that, that we don't have to trust in our own abilities, but we trust in you to help us, to give us the wisdom and the guidance that we need. Lord, whether it's big or small, you've given us everything we need. You've given us your word to guide our decisions. You've given us the intelligence to understand what needs to happen. You've given us the spiritual strength in Christ, to do right. And so, Lord, we thank you for these blessings. And we thank you for having such value of mankind to entrust us with all these things. Lord, help us as we go this week to remember how valuable we are to you, how much you love us. And we give you all the glory and praise, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we are uh, going to eat together, brave the rain. Uh, we'll be meeting again Thursday night with the men. We sure would love to have each of you there if you can make it. And uh, don't forget that I want to make an announcement here too that on the first Thursday in November, we will have uh, Mr. Hal Rice coming to share about how to apply, how to live out your faith in the secular business world how to apply biblical principles in the business world, in the, the secular world, the secular realm. 
And so I encourage you to come and I encourage you to invite a friend or a neighbor or somebody that you think might be interested in hearing how a man who's doing it very successfully does it. So come, I think it's November 5th. Come and join us for that if you can. Are there any other announcements this morning? I don't think there are. So we'll be dismissed. God bless.